This morning we are looking at Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And the title of the sermon and what we are discussing, not only this morning, but really all year, and in some ways in every sermon, is becoming a holy person. Is that what we are about? Now, if you look at the passage, it will talk about asking and seeking and knocking. But we'll find that this passage is one of, of several, but the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is pointing us to becoming more like Christ, to becoming holy. So if you will stand, we will read the words together from Matthew 7. Again, starting in verse 7. I think they're printed in the bulletin. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have come in the form of Your Son, that You, Jesus, pursue us, that this sermon points the way to worship, to follow You, to be adopted by You. And Lord, I pray this morning that this, these words and this passage will come to life, and that we will be strengthened in our faith. In Your name we pray. Amen. I think uh, an awkward thing to do for people is to give gifts. It makes it a lot easier if you know the kind of gift a person wants. We have a good friend um, who's an OU fan, believe it or not. I have a couple of those friends. This friend's mother decided at some point that she was going to always get him OU stuff. And every time he had a birthday or Christmas came, we would be with them later and he would laugh and bring out the new thing that had OU on it. Like a lamp, you know, the schooner lamp. Maybe a pillow with some kind of... Over and over, he finally had to say, Mom, I like OU. I do. But uh, maybe not that much. So he wanted me to let you guys know the half off price if you all, anybody here wants to buy some of the paraphernalia from OU. I think it's a, it is a picture though of the mom's desire to please him. And, and the, the, the converse of that is as receivers of gifts, as we get older, it becomes hard. You know, what is it you want? What do you need? And most of us start to take care of ourselves, don't we? We kind of buy what we need. We get the things we want. So when it is gift-giving time, it's a lot harder. And when we come to this passage about gifts from the Father, have we become difficult to be able to receive gifts from the Father? Have we become difficult at letting the Father know the gifts we need or want? Are we becoming, um, I don't know, maybe picky or self serving as we do in our own lives. This passage shows that the Father gives good gifts. And it really is a passage about growing in holiness. And we'll explore that. But the proposition is that you will only grow as a Christian to the degree that you allow your need to be known to the Father. We talked a little bit about that last week. It's really a theme of what we talk about. You will grow as a holy person, as a Christian, when you seek the gift you need. So that's what we're going to explore. Now that may seem strange with this passage, but we'll we'll dig in. Three things, the need, 
the gift and the seeking. So we begin with the need, the idea that there is a need in this passage. When you read the words, ask, seek, and knock, most of us assume immediately it's a passage on prayer. A general passage on prayer. Of course it's a passage on prayer. But we somehow have taken it out of the Sermon on the Mount and we've laid it on the table like a Hallmark card and said, see, isn't this lovely? Like Right in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes a break from everything else and explains that we can ask and seek and knock and get anything we want. And that's very appealing to us, I believe. A traditional view, you know, that it's, it's talking about prayer in general. But let me remind us of the Sermon on the Mount in which this exists. The very beginning, we're coming to the end, so we're just going to do a quick survey. Blessed are the poor in spirit, remember that. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus is building this storyline. And then in cha- later in chapter 5, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And if, you, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees or the scribes, you're in trouble. Right? And that's what he says, it sounds like. And then he goes through and explains. The Pharisees would say, do not murder. I say, do not hate. Do not call someone a fool. The Pharisee would say, do not have adultery. I would say, don't even lust. What is Jesus doing? He's saying we are a religious people. Those of us that would come to church, take the law of God and dumb it down to achievable things. Why do we do that? Because we don't want to feel our need. And he gets into chapter 6. He doesn't call it that. We do. He talks about fasting and giving and praying. What does he say? Don't be a hypocrite. Right? Don't be like those people who pretend at religion. And then he talks about treasures. And where are your treasures? He's building this storyline. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Are you treasuring heaven? Or are you treasuring earth? And it seems like when you really look at the earthly treasures he's referring to, again, it's not just money and possessions, things like that, though it does include that. But it's really a worldly religion. A way of keeping him at bay. And that's really where our holiness becomes stifled. When you think, I want to grow in holiness, but I'm going to do it on my terms. Rather than really facing your need. Okay, so we come to this passage. And it's interesting that right after this passage is the golden rule we'll talk about next week. When he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Kind of summing up much of the sermon. But here we are at a very practical passage. How do you grow? How do you get better? How do you become more godly? And the first thing I think he's making very clear is the need. Remember last week, the passage that leads right into this. He says, you hypocrite. Remember that? Wasn't that encouraging? Jesus is talking to his disciples. He doesn't, you know, it's very, I I don't think I'm going to ever look at people and just call them a hypocrite. Um, Maybe I will someday. Uh, and then I'll run. Um, but and not, no, not Jesus, because I'm the hypocrite. But he looks at his disciples and says, you hypocrite, why do you allow this plank to be sticking out of your eye and you're critiquing everyone? And remember the discussion was, we tend to, the places that we ignore in our lives drive us into our critical nature, into our judgmentalness. And so last week's whole point was, 
the way we grow is by admitting we have a plank. And in verse 5, he says, remove your plank. That was last week. So this week, I believe he's explaining how that's done. And we begin by recognizing, like we did last week, we have this need. And it also is in our passage as well. The need in our passage, right? The assumption that these children are coming to a father and they have something they want. Now again, if your view of this passage is it's, it's talking about all types of prayer, you might assume that Jesus would say, who among you when your child says, can I play outside or can I have a toy? Those things existed, right? Can I have a puppy? Maybe that didn't exist like it does today. No, what are the two things that children want? Bread and fish. Sustenance. He, he's talking about a real need. Right? And then notice what the father, the earthly father, doesn't give them um, the contrast in verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And which of you, if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? Jesus is now assuming that fathers, now he's talking about good fathers, right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Even though you're evil, he's not talking about the evil fathers. He's talking about the good ones. The good fathers, though they're evil, would still give good things. You would never get a stone or a serpent. Have you? And I was thinking about, okay, is that just hyperbole? Of course you would never do that. And maybe it's a stretch, but Jesus in the desert was told by Satan, turn these stones into bread. Right? And who is Satan in Genesis is the serpent. I think there's some imagery there of real evil, of real harm. In other words, in the Luke, Luke account, it's a scorpion as well. It's what kind of a father is going to harm a child who's in need or who's coming. But, but what he's saying is not put your place in the child there, but put yourself in the place of the father. So which of us, um, when approached by our child, would be evil enough to do that? Right? Who of you, who among you, would be that evil? Right? You wouldn't be. So the father in heaven is not evil. We're going to explore that. But the need we have then is for bread and fish. We have an absolute need. Um, this passage. Here's the point. It applies to all kinds of prayer, I do believe, but I think primarily we're going to see the prize to the Holy Spirit. And I was, um, I was, I had, a, oh, here's the illustration. I was, um, go, I had mono when I was in high school. Uh, Emily and I were dating. She, um, everyone assumed I got it from Emily because we were dating. And it's that kind of an illness. Um, but we, she never got mono. We were very thankful for that. And I remember going to the doctor. Uh, I had a huge swollen lymph node. It looked like I had like a tumor. And so um, we go to the doctor. And I'll never forget, he's an ENT. And he comes back and he says, okay, I've got good news and bad news. The good news, you have mono. I'm like, what's the bad news? He goes, you have horrible allergies. Your allergy, I looked up your nose and they're just, your sinuses now, I was cynical. I thought, oh, he just wants me to probably like pay a lot of money to start a program. But it's, it was fascinating to me that for this guy who could tell me I had mono, he would think to, he would think the allergies are worse. But you know what bothers me now? What bothers me in my life right now, health-wise? I never have mono anymore. It's gone. But I still have like allergies all the time. I get red eyes. I get, I sneeze, my asthma is driven by allergies. And so it just reminds me that when we think about our own needs, we have very real problems. 
very real things that are acute, that drive us to the doctor, drive us to prayer. But I think the first thing to understand this passage is, are we aware of our deepest need? The plank. The plank that we talked about last week. The areas of our lives where we completely cover up, where we completely act like hypocrites. Are those, is, are those areas um, in the forefront of our minds as we pray? How do you become a holy person? You begin to express to the Lord these needs. We're going to talk more about the process in a minute. But what's the gift? In this passage, Jesus says, what father, though evil, would ever give a gift that would, that would harm a child? And then in verse 11, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What is this good gift? And we talked about this, I don't know if you remember a few, it's been several weeks, it's probably like in the fall, but we looked at the Luke passage, very much the parallel passage, where Luke adds the word, the Holy Spirit. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now why would Matthew not say Holy Spirit and Luke would? It's a good question. We have to remember that when the Gospel's being written and Matthew is putting down what happened, he's realizing, as all the writers are, and inspired by the Spirit, what Jesus might have meant, and Luke maybe had different explanations. So if you read the book of John, for example, in chapter 7, where Jesus says, I, you know, out of you will flow rivers of living water, John says he was just speaking about the Holy Spirit. He adds that tagline. So I think Matthew has that clearly in mind here, good gifts, knowing that the reader, and I think Jesus has that in mind, knowing that the disciple will eventually receive the Holy Spirit right, of adoption. So when we look at that passage, is that what you think of as your greatest solution, your greatest gift, the Holy Spirit? That's the question I think this passage puts on us. Um, I have found in my life, personally speaking about the Holy Spirit, it is very easy to come into church, to go into our family lives, to go into all of our work, everything we do, and really leave the Holy Spirit, at least in our minds, completely out of the picture. Now, some of you were raised maybe in different denominations. I know we have a few Pentecostals and Charismatics in the room. Maybe we should have a couple of meetings where you explain the Holy Spirit to the rest of us. Uh, Doug, you can do that this summer if you'd like, or Mark. Um, we really struggle with the Holy Spirit, but the Gospel, uh, or the Bible, is very clear, and Paul really picks up on the theme, that what happens in conversion is that we receive the Spirit of adoption. And I want to ask you guys, um, is that something you rest in? When, when Paul says, I am a new creation, he's not suggesting I've added a couple of new habits. And so, when Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, not in the door, it's going to open to you. He's talking about primarily, or initially I should say, conversion. Are you a Christian? That's a really good question. I was talking with someone this week and we were discussing it, and I said, you know, statistically speaking, in this room, probably 30% of you guys aren't Christians. I don't have anybody in mind, I promise you, I really don't. Uh, we talked about judging last week. Wouldn't that be horrible if I like, prejudged? 
But just statistically speaking, we are a culture that goes to church, and many people will go to church and not know Jesus. Have you been adopted? Do you have the Holy Spirit? I've been reading a a book about Jonathan Edwards, and if you know anything about Edwards' life and and the arena he grew up in, that was a question. Jonathan Edwards is 20 years old. He had been teaching, uh, leading a ministry, a church in New York City. didn't look quite the same as it does now. And he goes back to his parents' home, and they begin to argue. And the biographer said more than likely the arguments were over whether or not he was a Christian. It wasn't that the parents were saying, certainly you're a Christian, Jonathan Edwards. You're a genius, and you're flowing with the Spirit and all these things, and you preach. They were saying, we don't think you're quite ready to take communion. So, Jonathan began to look at his own life. Now, why do I bring that up? I think we've swung the pendulum. Are we even aware that just because we say I'm a Christian, that maybe we've not asked the Lord to enter our lives? Maybe the Spirit has not entered our lives. Now, I really, that's not the whole direction we're going to go in, but I think it has to be said from time to time. It's okay to wrestle a little bit. Do I know Jesus? Is this Spirit dwelling in me? Am I a friend or a foe? But let's talk about the spirit of adoption that we do receive as the gift. Um, Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Children of the Living God, it's phenomenal, talks about the benefits of the spirit, and he says the first is the spirit of adoption, which Paul refers to in Galatians and Romans. He says, you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. If indeed we have suffered with Him in the glory. Or if we have suffered with Him in His sufferings, or share with Him in His sufferings, we will share with Him in His glory. Is that your view of your faith and I want, to remind, I want to the rest of you that say, I know I'm a Christian. I know I believe that. I walk with Christ. But I, I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like my faith is dormant. I, I, I'm not going anywhere in my faith. I'm not becoming holy. I'm not growing. There's a lot of us in that, in that category. And the answer there isn't that you necessarily need to go back to, I'm not a Christian, but rather... Maybe we're not walking by faith. Maybe we're not able to grow because we're squelching the Spirit. And how does this passage speak to that? Um, We have learned hypocrisy, right? So what we've done is we've gone to a small group and we walked in and someone said, hey, Brother Ryan, will you close us in prayer? And we say, sure, I'll pray. And we we say a prayer. And all of a sudden, we kind of feel good about ourselves. I did pretty good at that. And people think, he's a pretty good prayer. Er. And then the next time, you know, hey, Ryan, why don't you lead us in prayer? I mean, pretty soon, I put on a mask of being religious, right? Hey, Ryan seems to know his Bible. Maybe Ryan ought to go to seminary, etc., etc., etc. Pretty soon, the mask gets more lustrous, and the hypocrisy mask grows stronger and stronger. Not that that person, Ryan, because is not a Christian, but it's that we learn to trust in the masks that we're wearing. And we begin to define ourselves by those things. And what does this passage say? It's building off the plank, and it says, ask, 
seek, and knock. And this is why I've gone in reverse order. Because I want to deal with those words understanding there's a process to growing in holiness by which Schaefer would call it an active passivity. We're not growing in holiness by adding masks, getting better at things like Bible study, though you should, right? Getting better at memorization, though that's amazing. We need to do those things. But that's not growing you in holiness. What does a holy person look like? What does a holy person do? What is what? I mean, what would you? What? Who do you want to be? If you want to grow in Christ. And the answer I think Scripture gives, I think this passage gives clearly, is a person who is always abiding in Christ, who in everything we do, we are doing it in and through Christ. So let's talk about asking, seeking, and knocking. He's talking about seeking the Spirit, and I think he's talking not about the Spirit of adoption. The Spirit not only adopt, we're not only adopted by the Spirit, but we're also sanctified by the Holy Spirit, right? That is, we grow. The way you grow in the Christian life is not by becoming better and better on your own, but by the Holy Spirit having more and more freedom to work in you, right? Doesn't Paul talk about that in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit? It grows in you. And what's the process? Sometimes we talk about fruit of the Spirit and we have no idea what the process looks like. And here's what he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I have heard those words so many times that you know what I really hear when I hear those three things? One word, prayer, right? One word, ask. Is that what you hear? And so when I began to study this a little bit closer, I realized none of the commentators say that. They say it's actually three different Behaviors, but there's debate on why did Jesus use these words, these verbs. And here's what most are agreed upon. That it it really equals persistence. Persistence in pursuing the Spirit. Right? So you see a problem, you see a plank, and instead of hiding behind it, or excuse me, putting a mask over it, ignoring it somehow, you go to Jesus, you go to the Spirit. You go to Jesus through the Spirit, right? And you knock, and you seek, and you ask. That's the traditional. But I want to unpack it just a little bit more. At our house, where I'm the father, my children ask me a lot of questions, right? Now let's just whittle it down to the good questions for food, right? Fish and bread. Okay, those are the they're they're hungry. Okay, let's pretend they're hungry and they haven't eaten in a while, and so they legitimately need some food because there's always the illegitimate needs for food as well. Well, if they come in and ask me for food, it happens all the time. Well, sure, there's some cereal, there's some milk, there's some fish. I don't usually say the fish part. But what happens when they're outside? First, I hear the door open. Dad! Mom! Right? They're seeking us. I'm like, you know, then they come in and find us, right? Now, what happens, and this happens very occasionally, they've gone out one door, and they've wandered off, and then they Maybe something happened, they got hungry, and they want to come in the front door, the door they didn't go out, and it's locked. They have to knock, and I have to go up and open the door, and, and open it, and say, come on in, you know, of course I'm not that, that calm. I'm like, why didn't you just come in? You, know, you went out that door, and you came back to the front. Here's the point. Jesus, or the Father's not moving in any of those scenarios. Right? And sometimes when we interpret it that way, well, I asked, and he didn't answer, so then I sought, you didn't answer. Then I knocked. It doesn't make much sense. 
What's happening? The child is getting farther and farther away. This is one of those moments where you have to look behind, you know. You have a video going. He fell into the pit. Um, the, fa- the child's getting farther and farther away from the father. The child has wandered, right? When we are in intimacy with the father, how often is he giving you the spirit? You're not even asking. It would be like sharing a meal with your, he- with your earthly father passing the food to you. There's no asking. Thank you. You know, this is great. It's when you've wandered a little bit that there has to be a request. Oh, I I need this. I've wandered and I've come back asking. If you wander a little bit further, you have to start by seeking the Father. He's not disappeared. He didn't. He's not hiding. He didn't go on vacation. We have wandered. So when you think about your spiritual life and sanctification, growing in holiness, what happens is a plank has developed We've developed a blind spot, and in that area, you have wandered from the Father. Right? And the spirit of adoption, by which you cry, Abba, Father, who's also the spirit that sanctifies us, is saying, sometimes you're going to have to start by, at the beginning, with knocking. You're going to have to pursue. You're going to have to take this sin pattern that has taken root in your life and do a lot more work before you can even ask. Now, I don't mean that in a sense of any geography or span of time. I just mean sometimes we're so lost, we have to return first. Get in the, unlock the door, go in, seek the Father, and pray. Why I'm saying that is, I don't want this to turn into this idea that sometimes God doesn't answer. Rather, it's that we have wandered farther away. God will always answer this prayer. Not every prayer the way you want, but this prayer for the Holy Spirit. If you, if the Spirit shows you an area of sin in your life, He will deliver you from that sin. He will bring you into His fold. If you ask, seek, and knock. Does that make sense? But why don't we do it then? Because it is absolutely the most painful thing in the world to expose yourself before the Father. It is much easier to pretend it's not that bad. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who begins to tell you, or maybe you've done this, oh, I've got this problem. And then the second you say, you go, but it's not that bad. Have you ever done that? You know, I'm kind of struggling with this. I mean, not really, but we do that all the time. In Luke 13, just two chapters later, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son who has gone to the far country. Right? And what happens when he's feeding the pigs? He comes to his senses. That is when you see your point. That is when you know, what have I done? And what does he do immediately? He pursues the Father. The Father didn't leave. The Father was right where he knew to find him. And actually, as he pursues the Father, once he comes into view, the Father runs to him. Do you have that view of your Heavenly Father? When you don't have that view of your Heavenly Father, it's because we are living as orphans. If you look here in the passage, it says, after talking about a serpent, who would give a serpent when asked for a fish? If you then who are evil. I mentioned that we'd come back to this. If he is not, there is different kinds of evil, right? There's evil like, there are some fathers that are flat out evil that Jesus is not talking about. They would probably joyfully hurt their child. They're, 
Those people are out there. What Jesus is doing is he's taking you guys and saying, who are the best? Let me take the best three dads in the room. You guys are going to get awards. Everyone voted. These are the three best dads in the room. Everybody loves you guys. Um, we could, you could write, one of you is tempted to write a book on being a dad. You're that awesome. Jesus is looking at you and saying, if you who are evil, why is he doing that? Because that even the best one of us in this room, at being a father, at being a husband, at being a mother, a child, we are evil. That is, we are enemies of the cross by nature. We need the Spirit. We need communion with Christ through the Spirit. That is the Gospel. So the bad news is, every one of you is lost without Jesus. That's the bad news, right? You did, none of you came to Christ about five years ago and then quit needing Jesus. Every one of us is in the same boat. We're evil. But the good news is, if you are a Christian, He has put His Spirit in you. And though you may not be living by the Spirit, He loves you. And you are now free to knock, to seek, and to ask that the Lord would reveal Himself. And I believe that we get so stuck in our Christian lives because we have gone from needing Him to trying to pretend we have it together. So you have to go back to the sermon at the very beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want to live as a Christian according to Jesus, according to the Scriptures, quit thinking you become holy by doing. And begin thinking you grow in your holiness by repenting, by exposing your sin, by saying, Jesus, I don't know what's going on, but I need you. Holy Spirit, will you reveal my sin of, of criticalness, of what horrible lust and, and, and addiction, all the way, or maybe it's older brother sins. You know, the younger brother returns, and what's the older brother do? Why is he back? Right? Why is he here? And he's the one that stands outside. That's the biggest risk. Most of us in the room probably struggle with older brother sins. I've got it together. I've got my retirement plan, and my family seems okay, and the pantry's filled. I don't have a problem. The plank just grows and grows. So this, this message is out asking you and I. Ask, seek, and knock. We had a... Um, Tom and I drove down to Oklahoma City on Friday to be a part of a commission that examined two ruling elders for the church in Edmond called Redeemer Church. So they will be particularized in about a month or two. So that was really exciting for Tom and I. And pretty soon we'll be examining Eddie. And we were comparing notes. What can we do to really get Eddie? What are some hard questions? He's in old, that's right. See, we, he's going to knock our socks off. We're going to be like, I have no more questions. Um, but one of the two guys, the one that had the least amount of Bible knowledge, he was admittedly sort of sheepish, but just on fire for the Lord. Um, we asked him the question, you know, how do you grow? Like, how do you become a stronger Christian? And what? It, and he, I asked him about sanctification, and he said, "Well," and I said, "Actually, I asked him, what would you tell somebody who asked you about that?" That's a big deal. You know, hopefully, you guys, we all go to our, not just our elders, but just other people. We're sharing life together, and it's good to think, how would I answer that question? And the question was really, the person doesn't know that they even want to grow. 
but they, they realize they've kind of wandered. And he said, the first thing I would do is I would pray about the fact that I don't even care. I thought that was very wise. So here's the best news for you guys in the room. Those of you that have been weathering the storm of this poorly constructed sermon, those of you who are thinking, get me out of here, but I think he said asking and seeking and knocking, you, even with me messing it all up, you have the Spirit dwelling in you if you are a Christian. You can go and pray. Spirit, I don't care. I tuned him out after the illustration about OU. I was done. Shut it down. Show me my sin. Will you show me the areas of growth? Not so I can beat myself up, but so I can know you. Because a holy person is a person who knows their Father. Thanks be to God. that The Spirit comes in, shows us the Father, through the Son, and we grow in holiness. Not in the way we look, the way we do our things, but in our abiding in Christ.